Welcome to the pulse that moves the triangle world today. This one-size-fits-all broadcast is a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, helpful tips, what's trending, events, and boundless other adventures. It's a conversation pit of comedians, politicians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Inspreffer. Hi, friends. T.J. Cawley, mayor of Morrisville, has been appointed chairman of the National League of Cities 2020 Energy, Environment, and Natural Resources Federal Advocacy Committee. The committee is responsible for developing policy and leading NLC's advocacy on infrastructure and sustainability-related issues such as water quality, air quality, energy, climate change, solid and hazardous waste management, local food systems, and public lands. Most recently, the committee has focused on issues pertaining to water infrastructure, such as financing mechanisms and addressing community and residential affordability and climate change mitigation and community resilience. That's quite a mouthful and a huge undertaking. Welcome, Mayor. Thanks for being here. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. So how were you chosen for this position? Federal advocacy committees are comprised of local elected and appointed officials and town officials from National League of City member cities, of which there are actually over 1,900 member cities, and we represent over 200 million residents. So National League of City members must apply annually for membership, to a federal advocacy committee, and then the NLC president makes appointments for chair, vice chair, and the general membership. So in addition to leading the federal advocacy, advocacy committee, uh, energy, environment, and natural resources, I'm also on the board of directors this year as well, which is very exciting. You mentioned exciting. So why were you interested in being part of this? Well, I've always been interested in sustainability and the environment. Um, my wife and I are life members of the Sierra Club. And I have made a commitment as a mayor to strive to help support a vision of 100% clean and renewable energy in Morrisville and across the country. So the Sierra Club has ceased recruiting for that commitment earlier this year, but it does have 226 mayors on the list. Um, so I have served on a number of years on the North Carolina League of Municipalities Planning and Environment Legislative Action Committee. And that's where we advocate locally on environmental issues in Raleigh. And I thought it'd be really impactful to take our local advocacy all the way to Washington, D.C. And in doing so, I've been fortunate to have meetings with congressmen, senators, and even the vice president earlier this year through my work with the National League of Cities. So I'm hoping that I'm making a difference. Oh, it sounds like it. That's fantastic. Well, you know, when we look at this full picture, when it comes to all things environmental, there are so many aspects, and it sounds like you're you're giving a go, a run at all of them. So let's first talk about cutting energy use, using more renewables, and improving transportation systems. Sure thing. Uh, In recent years, cities have increasingly prioritized environmental protections, climate preparedness, and greenhouse gas emission reductions. So reducing carbon emissions will make our communities a better, fairer, safer place to live. So cities large and small are adopting and pursuing renewable energy goals to cut greenhouse gas emissions. In Minnetonka, Minnesota, for example, the city is running entirely on solar energy. It's one of the few cities in the country to be 100% powered by the sun 
including the city's energy, according to the city's energy consultant. So all the city's facilities and infrastructure, including streetlights, city buildings, and sewer and water systems, are running off solar power. Whoa. So currently the city spends approximately a million dollars per year on electrical energy. By using solar energy, the city will cut that cost by 50% or $500,000 a year. So um, cities are installing solar panels on other municipal buildings, city hall, water utilities, public works, and the like. Um, and uh, right here in Morrisville, we're assessing our town buildings and are planning to install solar panels on a building as a pilot project this fiscal year. Interesting. Um, so I could go on a little bit more, or that's enough. <laughs> no, give me, give me, let's get all you got, because I really want to get the word out to people about what's going on. Some people become very frustrated that, you know, okay, all I hear about environment, 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 but I think it's good to point out what is actually taking place. And I'm going to go through some topics down here and we'll break it up. But if you have more on that thought, then go ahead and then we'll hit some other big ones. Sure. Um, electrified transportation, we'll hear about um, electric cars, and that's a key strategy in meeting broader emissions and environmental goals. So the transportation sector in general generates the largest share of greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S., uh, 28.5% of 2016 greenhouse gas emissions. So Orlando, Florida, Chula Vista, California, and Burlington, Vermont are all examples of cities investing in and committing to advanced fuel or alternative fuel and electric vehicles and infrastructure. Here in Morrisville, we have authorized four hybrid vehicles in this year's budget, and we're updating and installing new electric vehicle charging infrastructure. So towns and uh, cities, large and small, are making steps towards moving towards a more renewable future. Morrisville sounds like it's taking a huge lead here. Um, what, did the, what did the residents think about the uh, solar panel project? Uh, people are very excited. Uh, recently, uh, housing development, which we approved, had solar panels on uh, some of their buildings facing the road. So we're encouraging new developers whenever possible to have their um, buildings already set up to accept solar panels so you can pre-wire things. So when people see more solar panels around, one of the big hurdles is HOAs. Um, they have a little bit more restrictive authority because of appearance standards, and when you move into a neighborhood, you sign that. Um, so there's ways to try to encourage people to do what they can, and there's a program called SoulSmart which helps uh, towns large and small sort of change the restrictions and the ordinances in order to promote more solar. So our residents are very excited about it. Uh, we had an election a couple of years ago, and two of the people who ended up winning and joining our seven-person council really ran on the environment and talked about solar and preserving parks, trees, open space. Um, so I think our residents are really excited about the idea of being a green and sustainable town. That's great. Now, you already are doing this, so let's just continue. I like how you're telling us what can and is being done. Uh, so let's keep going with different topics in the same manner, starting with air quality and emissions reductions. Oh, sure thing, yeah. Um, I did a little bit of a background research for this call, and I wanted to let you know that according to the American Lung Association's 2020 State of the Air Report, 46% or 150 million people live in counties with unhealthy air. Mm. So this is especially concerning now as research shows that people with long-term exposure to air pollution are more, more likely to die from COVID-19. Mm. So to help mitigate these ne negative outcomes, cities are implementing renewable energy production, 
preserving natural resources, and preparing for extreme and climate-related events. Um, it's important for each of us to be aware of how our actions affect our air quality. So moving away from internal combustion towards electric vehicles and walking or biking whenever possible are small but important steps. So I personally have set up an alert here in North Carolina to be alerted for air quality warnings when air quality is unhealthy. And you can also do the same at www.enviroflash.info. And that'll send you a notice when um, air quality is bad and you might want to stay inside rather than being outside, although being outside is always better. Yes. <laughs> Can you give that site one more time? Sure. It's www.enviroflash, so E-N-V-I-R-O-F-L-A-S-H dot I-N-F-O. Great. Okay. So, um, you know, here we go again people that maybe aren't that cognizant of what's going on with the environment or not that caring about it. We see even COVID is impacted through, you know, the air quality and such, like patients can be impacted by that. So this is a surrounding issue. And I want to go into land use. There's barriers here to development, such as density limitations and modernization. Yes, there surely is. So, as you know, each town and city is different, and local officials across North Carolina, they know their communities best, and they'll pass rules that best reflect the will of the people in their communities. Like I said, here in Morrisville, we're heading towards more green infrastructure and things like that. So, here we have a unified development ordinance, a land use plan, and a zoning map. And these were all created over the years with lots of public input from all stakeholders, and they work all together as a catalyst for growth and development in our town, while it also prevents missteps or legal challenges. So our goal as a town is to provide clarity about the vision for our future development and provide clear guidance of what is actually allowed. So many urban and suburban areas, such as Morrisville, have areas which are approaching the life cycle phase of redevelopment, which will pose additional challenges to meet our more modern stormwater and building requirements, so we're going to have to continue to address each of these challenges as they arrive. And as um, you probably realize, the market right now is moving everyone towards more density um, and apartments. And we just need to find the right balance between all the people who are coming into our region and whether or not we are going to be able to preserve more open space um, and making sure that we're taking care of having a, an adequate and high quality water supply as well. Well, you mentioned water, and that's what we're going to go into next. The United States water sector is preparing to spend $20 billion over the next 10 years on capital and operating expenditures for water solutions. What are the challenges here? Well, there's a number of challenges, and although $20 billion sounds like a lot of money, um, when you think about there's pipes in the ground leading to every single house in the U.S., um, it's not really, it's essentially a drop in the bucket. So there's lots that need to be done. But when we think about the needs around water infrastructure at the local level, there are six broad categories of challenges that communities are facing. So the first one is aging infrastructure. So the infrastructure is much of it is beyond the 50 to 75 year lifespan with some infrastructure 100 or 150 years old. Um, the number two problem and challenge is unfunded mandates. So our nation's cities are facing an increase in federal and state unfunded mandates, 
And we all have limited fiscal resources and often a state preemption on local ability to raise revenue in order to address these needs. Uh, the third big challenge is affordability. We find that low-income households pay a disproportionate amount of their incomes towards their water bills. Like when uh, a wealthier person buys a new home, they have all the low-flow fixtures and everything's all modern. But other people who are living in homes that are a little bit older, they don't have the efficient toilets. Um, so they end up using more of the water, and they are least able to pay for it. Um, fourth challenge, climate change impacts. Whether there's too much water or too little, it's different in every region of the country, uh, climate change is going to exacerbate current water infrastructure challenges, as well as create new challenges around both water quality and availability. These changes must be taken into consideration as we're thinking about the new infrastructure investments that are going to put in place. Fifth challenge is pollution and contamination. Be it lead, nutrients, PFAS, pharmaceuticals, cities are charged with providing clean and safe water for the communities. And six, which is a big thing, we're having this in a couple of different industries, including inspections, but there's an aging workforce. So one-third of our water and wastewater utility workers, and in some cases, 50 to 60% of the workforce in some regions are eligible for retirement in the next five or 10 years. And that far exceeds workforce replacement needs in other sectors. We're very fortunate that we have Wake Tech Community College, which has lots of ability but people aren't being drawn into these industries um, as they had been in the past. So we're, we're trying to work on that um, and be a little bit more intentional about recruiting people that are going to fill the needs that we're going to have in the next couple of years. Um, so there's good examples. There's many cities who are connecting water infrastructure challenges to climate change, like flooding. Um, for example, right here in Cary next door, they're building a stormwater system in a downtown park which will handle at a minimum of 500-year storm event. So that's a really good, smart investment for downtown businesses and residents because you don't. it costs a lot less to prevent something than to have to clean up after it. Um, so just broadly, the Energy, Environment, and Natural Resources Committee of the National League of Cities, which I lead, has focused our attention over the past couple of years on such issues as advocating for water infrastructure investments and financing mechanisms for new and existing water infrastructure. This will be supporting an integrated planning approach to addressing municipal wastewater and stormwater, addressing community and residential affordability, and addressing drinking water contamination from lead, PFAS, and other pollution sources. Wow. Um, I could talk a little bit more about forever um, chemicals, but I think I've covered most everything. Well, there's certainly a lot of challenges. I didn't realize the full impact. So I, again, I'm glad we're having this to provide a little education out there. Um, now I'm going to go into one of my favorite topics, food. <laughs> you know, not everyone thinks of food as an environmental issue. You know, it's kind of just give me my burgers and fries, but it requires, yeah, but it requires its own sustainability force. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I think that you could probably devote an entire interview discussing the economic framework of farming and food production in North Carolina, but I'll just bring it right down to the very local level. Um, here in Morrisville, our motto is live connected, live well. So a couple of years ago, we made plans to create a food hub to promote healthy lifestyle choices and healthy foods here in Morrisville. At the core of this vision is our Western Wake Farmers Market, it's located along one of our greenways. It's adjacent to our community library and our future town center. 
and has a community educational garden as part of the site. So each Saturday, residents can bike or stroll to the market for fresh fruits, vegetables, meats, and baked goods from local merchants and farmers. So we look forward to returning to it being a community gathering place where we can spend more time socializing. But for now, it continues to be a place to support the local economy and get fresh, healthy food. Um, we are also proud to work in partnership with Wake County Food Security and a number of local state organizations to provide free meals to those in need as an extension of the free summer meals program led and narrated by the Western Regional Community Advocacy Committee. I've been volunteering on this committee for a number of years when we were able to identify an area of Morrisville which qualified to be part of the program. So we worked with a property manager, and for the past few years, we've been providing free meals to those in need during the summer. When schools were closed this past spring due to COVID-19, we were able to activate that framework early and have provided tens of thousands of meals to those in need these past few months. So we're fortunate for the many volunteers and generous donors from across the greater Morrisville region who's made this effort possible. Wonderful. Now, here's a subject we're all familiar with, recycling. Recycling was once thought to be the superhero of saving the planet. In 2015, nearly 68 million tons of waste was recycled. And then, oops, in 2018, China, which previously received more than half of the world's recyclable commodity exports, implemented their China Sword Policy, an import ban on certain commodity mixes, and the country began enforcing stricter limits on how much contamination can be present in recyclable materials, creating a global crisis. You know, here's where, you know, we don't throw away pizza boxes in the recycle bin because of things like this. So I wanted to know what you see as the future of recycling. Well, as you noted, China's national sword policy um, really changed the landscape for recycling worldwide. Um, but I see it as presenting an opportunity for public and private and nonprofit sectors to rethink and reimagine recycling. The challenges today really come down to contamination, as you mentioned, pizza boxes in the, in the recycle. That doesn't work. Um, so whenever there's contamination, that not only increases the cost, it can also potentially damage the equipment and reduces the quality of the material for the end user. Um, that potentially makes it completely unrecyclable. So these costs are forcing local governments like our own, private haulers and facility operators, to reevaluate their operations and policies in order to maintain viable municipal materials management systems. So while solid waste management is a local issue, the federal government is an important partner so cities, towns, and villages across the country through NLC are urging the federal government to develop a national policy, and that would include source reduction, volume reduction, and resource recovery. If there's any way to incent the idea of creating our own recycling industry or sub-industry of sorts, if we can bring the technology, we can lead in that space. So this is an opportunity, just like in renewable energy, that we can really make change if we can bring it in-house, there's less transport and there's more use for future um, reuse of recyclables. So in Durham, North Carolina, my friend Mayor Steve Shule has plans to cut in half the amount of waste it is shipping to landfills by 2040 through the conversion of food waste, yard waste, and biosolids into compost on a massive scale. So we can do things large and small. Uh, the city of Warsaw, Indiana, has created a curbside waste task force 
plans to eliminate plastic bags from yard waste streams to prevent harmful pollutants from entering the soil. And here in Morrisville, we implemented a pilot program to recycle textiles to keep them out of the landfill. And we are encouraging people to use reusable containers for yard waste rather than one-time bags. So right now, local governments are scaling back the recycling programs due to the expense. So while we're all dutifully separating our materials and we're being careful for many communities due to fiscal concerns, we're choosing to send all their waste to the landfill. So even though people are separating, some towns are sending it all to the landfill together. So until we have a better recycling education and Americans start to change their habits, this uh, problem, I'm afraid, is going to continue to exist. So we could really use some federal leadership to try to really set in place the foundation for creating a recycling economy. Yeah, it's always good not to be dependent on another country, take care of it ourselves. And then also, when you you talk about education, uh, and I don't know what's going to develop with all those aspects you mentioned, but again, going back to contamination, should people be always washing out their mayonnaise jars and their cans of food so there's not so much contamination? Yeah, I think it's really important for um, each municipality to, as much as possible, reach out to their um, constituents and their users and try to make sure either put stickers on the recycle bins or use social media or mailings to indicate what really is allowed in the recycling bins. Like here in Morrisville, a lot of people don't understand that tall kitchen garbage bags should not go into the recycling bin because that's the plastic that isn't recycled, so that can damage machines. So a lot of people think, yeah, I'm putting all my recycle into the recycle bin, but if it's in a plastic bag, that's a problem. Um, so education is going to be really key moving forward. Overall, where do you feel North Carolina falls in the environmental arena? I'm very excited uh, because I think that we have unlimited upside potential here in North Carolina. Without significant incentives, we have some so- made some solid progress towards renewables with some help from our state legislature and some focus from our world-class universities. I think that we can take a leadership role in developing and implementing renewable energy systems and become a stronger, more resilient set of communities through the effort. Green infrastructure and urban environments can be beautiful and an attractive amenity. Right here in Morrisville, we have one of our town greenways along the back of our largest shopping center, which boasts one of the largest constructed wetland stormwater control measures on the East Coast. So it's really a beautiful habitat for any number of species. So if we're intentional about um, trying to do the right thing with the environment and recyclable and renewables, I think we can um, catch up to California and uh, do what they're doing about making sure that we're a green place taking care of the planet. Of all the matters we discussed or otherwise, what do you feel is the most crucial issue to tackle? Uh, For me, the most crucial issue is the threat of climate change. I think that overrides all the other concerns. Uh, Given the current fiscal situation being faced by local governments who are necessarily the boots on the ground implementers of any meaningful environmental progress, little progress can be made. Um, Most towns and cities are fighting to keep their police and fire departments fully staffed and equipped. At the National League of Cities, we're advocating as a united body, representing over 200 million residents, for the urgent need for our coronavirus relief package. And we're hoping that it will include new direct funding to state and local governments so that we can do more than simply keep the lights on. Um, 
Currently, there's many mayors who are already signaling that our economic recovery must prioritize climate solutions. On May 7th, the C40 group of cities, including 10 U.S. mayors, released a statement of principles that there should not be a return to business as usual, because that is the world on track for a three degrees Celsius or more temperature increase. Mm. Um, Unfortunately, many local governments' sustainability plans will be significantly altered by the current crisis, as funding has already been cut from climate and sustainability programs. However, cities that can take a holistic approach to addressing these issues may see actually a higher return on investment. Using a resilient lens enables cities to analyze all budgetary decisions across departments and determine how and if connections can be made to enhance local preparedness, improve resident health, and get communities back to work. Although often debated, most people have some degree of at least interest, if not concern, about all these issues we've talked about. What is the best way to communicate to the public about solutions, if not urgency? Um, I think that the important thing is we need to model the behavior that we wish to see in others. I, for example, ride my bike. I compost my waste. Uh, Two of our council members have installed solar panels on their homes. Our town, as I mentioned earlier, will install solar panels on a building. And we've converted our streetlights to LED and are looking to transition part of our fleet to hybrid and then eventually electric vehicles. So making green choices not only the right thing to do in the long run, it is also the best investment that we can make with our time and resources. Uh, as we have all heard, but we really need to internalize the phrase that we do not inherit the earth from our ancestors, we borrow it from our children. Oh, I like that. <laughs> that was very, very impactful. So, so what should we all do? We've talked about what your group's doing and other groups like it or organizations rather, you know, what cities and towns are doing, but what can Mary and Bob and Kathy do? Uh, two words, walk more, hmm. just get out and enjoy the outdoors, reach out to your local elected leaders and ask them to prioritize sustainability, renewable energy, and ask them to secure more parks and open space. More trees and parks add to our quality of life. Let's protect and preserve what we have. If you can, go out and plant a tree, plant a dozen. Participate in the litter sweep, join the Sierra Club, compost your organics. Uh, Just to conclude, just treasure our planet. It is the only one we have. I think that's a great note to end on. Uh, Thank you so much for the education and advising us what to do. One person can make a difference, even if you take on one of those things the mayor mentioned instead of all of them. You know, what a difference that would make. Mayor, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Mary, for the opportunity to be here. Uh, If you want to learn more about National League of Cities, you can go to www.nlc.org. To learn more about Morrisville, please visit www.townofmorrisville.org. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. Time for our nonprofit spotlight. Being how we have been talking with the mayor of Morrisville and about the environment, I thought we should feature a Morrisville organization and one that focuses on the environment. The Soil Health Institute is a nonprofit whose mission is to safeguard and enhance the vitality and productivity of soil through scientific research and advancement. The Institute, located in Morrisville, works with its many stakeholders to develop strategies, identify gaps in research, 
seek out funding to address those gaps, and ensure beneficial impact of those investments to agriculture, the environment, and society. The Soil Health Institute was established to serve as an umbrella for all individuals and organizations who desire to improve soil health by working together for the common good. They typically focus on how this work will benefit the environment, farms, and communities. They say their core is a commitment to people, a commitment to current and future generations, so they will have clean water, a stable climate, and plentiful and nutritious food. The Soil Health Institute employs a comprehensive strategy covering research and development, education, consumer communication, impact assessments, and policy. For more information on this environmental organization, go to soilhealthinstitute.org. Soilhealthinstitute.org. Well, it's time to high five and say goodbye. We're everywhere, including Pandora, iTunes, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or you can visit our website, Triangle 411. Dot buzzsprout.com. I'm Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Today, dot, 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 hug a tree.